Welcome back, friends, to the Shuttle Pod. We are excited to be here for episode 89. Today is November 11th. Uh, I am your your co-host, Jared. I'm joined by my friend, Matt. Hello, guys. My friend, Brian. Hey, everybody. And my friend, Kayla. Hey, guys. We are excited to have all four of us here because we have, I think, what we think is a very special episode today, mm-hmm. right? A, a very special episode. I was going to say, this is, is this an after-school special? You know, It would be appropriate for something yeah. that's stuck in the late 80s, right? It, right, yeah, that's exactly. That's true. It would be perfect for that. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, uh, a sequel, I guess, to our Season 1 episode we did a couple months ago. And could, um, that episode was very well-received. Which yep. uh, I don't know. Do we do we want to tell the fans how well received that episode was? <laughs> it's definitely one of our higher rated. Yeah, we had a lot of <laughs> listeners on that one. It was it was very high. And we and we enjoyed doing it a great deal. So you yeah, know we've we've been episode. looking forward to doing this one for a while. Oh yeah. And and Kayla, why don't you? Because you were sort of the the tip of the spear on that one. Why don't you mm-hmm. remind everyone a little bit about what that episode was about? Yeah, so um, I, along with my husband, had started rewatching TNG all the way through in order, which is something I haven't done in a very long time. Um, normally, I just sort of pick and choose and randomly watch episodes. And it made me realize how much I really enjoyed season one of TNG. And, you know, people people talk crap about season one and two a oh, lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, they're seen as like, ooh, you like don't even go there, just skip over those and get to season three when it gets good. Um, and I thought there was a lot of gems in there. And so I wanted to challenge that. And so I I brought this idea to the Trek movie crew and said, Hey guys, like let's do like a tribunal. Let's put season one on trial. I will defend it as the defender of all things in Star Trek. Like I am the generations <laughs> apologist, you know, happily <laughs> labeled as such. And not I'm now the the next generation season one apologist and we had a really fun discussion about where season one was a stinker and where it was great and we started talking and and matt and brian you both pointed out quite a bit how season two often gets lumped in with season one Uh when there are some really important differences between the two seasons um, even though they just get lumped in as the pre-season three sort of crap at the beginning of the show yeah so we thought we would do another episode a little bit different tone this time, where instead of sort of putting season two on trial, I think all of us agree that um, there's a lot of really, really good things to say about season two. So yep. so our premise here is sort of that, you know, season two is gets unfairly lumped in with season one and sort of dragged down by reputation. But in actuality, I guess sort of we're all the defense attorneys for season <laughs> yep. two trying to yep. convince you guys that um, maybe you should give it another shot. Yeah, we have not come here to bury season two. We've come here to, <laughs> to lift to, it out of the ashes. That, that's right. <laughs> uh, very, very nice. Very nice, Brian. Thank you. Um, okay. Now, now on that subject, Brian, you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago uh, about the, the jump in quality from season one to two. Do you want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, going back to what Kayla was saying, how she was rewatching season one recently and realized it was better than she remembered it being. This was a similar thing that happened to me personally when the Blu-rays came out a few years back. And as each set would come out, I would watch them all the way through. And I had not watched seasons one and two all the way through since they were broadcast originally. Mm. I mean, there were mm-hmm. some things in it that were just not worth returning to. So uh-huh. I just didn't, I did, yeah. you know, I'd pick and choose as everybody else did. You know, your favorites out of those seasons. Season two had Measure of a Man, 
Q who, you know, there were different episodes that I enjoyed, but I did not make a point of working my way through the entire season before. And while there are some definite turkeys in season two, it's far better than what it's given credit for. There's a lot of the building blocks of what would, what would be um, utilized in the rest of the series and beyond. Yeah. Very far beyond. Yeah. Very far beyond. Um, like, like, so, like, like last year. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Borg. We'll get, the to Borg. Yeah. we'll get to that. Yeah. yeah. The Borg are introduced obviously during this season. And uh, yes, of course, measure of a man is mm-hmm, the major mm-hmm. jumping off point for Picard. So, yeah, yeah that's exactly I, what I was thinking. So, about. I mean, we can go into this in more depth and, and whatnot, but yeah, th- there's a lot more to offer in season two than I ever gave it credit for. The other thing I want to add on that subject is having been alive at the time is how good this is considering that maybe network TV in the late eighties wasn't the best ever. Right. <laughs> I mean, K- Kayla, you were, weren't uh, as cognizant at the time, but the late eighties, <laughs> nope. it was just one terrible pre Seinfeldian family sitcom after another. Oh my goodness. Yes. There right? were some good shows on TV, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were good dramas, but the, yeah, good dramas, yeah. comedy, you know, handful of good comedies, but yeah. yeah. What, what other dramas were there at the time you might, you might say we're on the same level of quality as this? Cause I'm looking at this and I'm just thinking, this is incredible that they did this with the limited budget they had and on the extremely compressed timeline that they had too, that they were churning out not 10 episodes like with Game of Thrones or Mad Men or whatever. But t- like twenty to t- mm-hmm. twenty six episodes. Of oh yeah, every right. single year. I remember that was that was standard. Oh, yeah. Star Trek is yeah, it's very standard. Yeah, that was an industry standard. Um, but yeah, Star Trek is a very punishing show to produce. Oh my mm-hmm. god! Uh, yeah. But but other shows from the time that were very good. L.A. Law was an, it was a great great show. I used to watch <laughs> all the time. Yes, which which, which relates St- to Stephen Bochco and David Kelly. You know, were part of that. Um, oh, and then uh, Diane Moldar was on that, wasn't right, she? Which Diane, to Diane that, Moldar, exactly. right, was on it. Wise Guy was another great show in that era. And then uh, right after this season ended, Twin Peaks arrived. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Twin so Peaks, there, there yeah. were, you know, don't get me wrong. There was the vast majority of network television was still a wasteland. And, and MacGyver. Tri- yeah, MacGyver was a fun little. I love MacGyver. I know you do. <laughs> He's my a, hero. It was a fun show. It was a fun show. No question. But yes, Trek typically in its lifetime has stood out against a lot of what was on TV at the time. I'm not so especially sure this was Especially when you consider it was syndicated. Think about the crap that was syndicated. Oh, from a syndicated standpoint, yeah, there, there was no competition. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. Because this is even before, you know, because basically Trek paved the way for proving that you could syndicate like first run things. Yep. So this this is before that even. This is when it's still proving that that's a worthy use case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It kind of was a trailblazer in that regard, TNG. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, there were other shows on TV, but yes, Trek at the time still often stood out from the pack. So something that struck me, and, and I think we talked about this a bit in the first season, is um, that the music is so good and adds mm-hmm. so much detail, right? Yeah. That it's so much more varied than the sort of, like, Brian, I think you use the term wall of sound, maybe? Sonic wallpaper. Sonic, Sonic wallpaper. That's wall better. of sound is the wall good sound. Wall of sound was the Beach Boys. Wall of sound <laughs> is um, is Phil Spector. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but that, but that's wallpaper. good. Sonic wallpaper is bad, you know? Like, yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. <laughs> and the, some of the music in this, 
is is so um catchy and sets mm-hmm. the mood so well like in q who with the borg the music is so haunting um even though i think it's objectively a terrible episode the up the long ladder episode they have that delightful little irish ditty that they play <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah which that episode is awful but that music is terrific and it isn't just <laughs> the music that i thought they took extra care with on this that is better in comparison to later seasons which are considered uh, better in the- uh, in terms of writing well, stories and whatnot. Yeah, they were allowing more variety in the kind of music like we were talking about. And also, related to that, this Ron Jones was still a composer. Mm-hmm. He was one of the more interesting and dynamic composers that TNG yeah. had. So. Which, so that made a big difference. Yeah, I mean, the season even opens with kind of a big, soaring, bombastic piece. When uh, At the opening of The Child, there's like an mm-hmm. establishing shot of the Enterprise and I think some Excelsior. Off 10 forward. Yeah, some Excelsior class ship, and it's just this big, sweeping, very Star Trekky and big music cue. It which... felt more like music from one of the movies. Yeah, maybe, maybe more along those lines, and but 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 consistent with what we had heard in season one of TNG as well. But that was kind of the season two is kind of the last time you get consistently. There were exceptions throughout the rest of TNG's run, but consistently, this is the last season where you hear a lot of episodes that had music that actually had melody you know there's a there's a fun project that i don't think i've ever seen anyone tackle before like a fan project rescore seasons three through seven or key moments from season seven with music either pulled from season one and two or or a mashup of of you know earlier trek music Mm -hmm. there could be some key scenes i think you could do that it would be interesting to compare the original score the sonic wallpaper score and like a fan-made score that mimics other Trek soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Mm. That'd be, that's a great idea. It is a good idea. But can we can we talk about the child for a minute? Sure. Oh, go for it. Yeah, delayed into <laughs> I, it, and then after, if... after your comment on the child, let's talk about the um, incredible healthcare professional who delivers the child, and <laughs> and Matt's thoughts on her. Smooth segue. Yes. How about Definitely. that? Definitely. <laughs> Kay- Kayla, yes. over to you. I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion or not, but I hate that episode. I think it's terrible. I'd, I would say it is not an unpopular opinion, considering, according to Jared's wonderful research from IMDb, it's at the very, it's at the bottom of the list, second only to Shades of Grey at the bottom. So, yeah, I don't know, and I don't well. think, and I don't think it's that bad. No, I don't think it, that's quite that fair. But I'm just saying, episode. I'm just saying, she's not alone. Like you're not alone. Oh no, I think it's actively bad. I, mean, I really what, Kayla, like what it. do you dislike about it? just i don't i don't know the whole the whole premise is already bizarre but then i it, it just feels awkward to me the entire time like the the if i had to describe the mood of that episode in one word it's awkward the yeah. kid is awkward um deanna's actions are bizarre and it's never quite clear to me if like why she was acting nutty the whole episode and i'm like is this because she's under some alien influence or is uh, I don't know. I never bought any of it, and I just thought it or was a really bad episode. Or it's a, a warmed over '70s script, and so it's really doesn't fit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It feels like that because <laughs> it, it feels is. Like it. Yeah, yeah. And I, the, the episode never bothered me. I just thought it was very mediocre. That's all. I just think it was an unfortunate open to the season because here you are, season one down of this new Star Trek show, new kid on the block, trying to show people what you've got, and you open season two with the child. Yeah. The reason that that episode opens the season is because there was a writer's strike between seasons one and two. 
and it bled into the production time for season two. And do you know what it So, I mean, why? Because is that why? That's why they're using this old script because they, they just didn't why. have anything else to shoot. They needed, yeah. They were running up against, okay. running up. You know, the conveyor belt was you know moving the product down the line, and they had to you know get going. Yeah. And that's so, not television. Yeah, well, it's any kind of television. If you're when people are getting paid to be there and the and the clock is running, you better be producing something. Hmm. So that's why they dusted off one of these scripts, and they dusted another one off a couple of years down the line too. Devil's Do is also a season. But much to, more successfully. I, but we yeah, love Devils Do. That is a secret masterpiece. Right. It's but one of the, Trek Movie's favorite, most lauded episodes. Right. So this Thank is one you. of the Thank first instances where they went dipped into the phase two well, basically. Mm-hmm. Because they had no choice. There's only 22 episodes in this season because they got started late. Yeah. yeah. I, I would maintain there's actually only 21 episodes of this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's a whole other we, 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 can get into that. we can get into that conversation <laughs> yeah. later. Yeah. But something, can I interject something that struck me about this episode? Sure. Okay, so so frequently in, in a TV show, you'll have an A story with some of the characters and a B story with some of the other characters. And one of the ways that it adds like dynamics is you mix up which characters are in which set of stories, right? So you may have one episode that's more about, like the A story here is about uh, Deanna and Dr. Pulaski and the reaction to to um, Ian Andrew Troy, right? And then the B story is Wesley deciding if he wants to be, if he wants to stay on the ship or if he wants to go back and join his mother at Starfleet Medical, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing with like good storytelling is ideally when you have a plot and a subplot, they should be connected in some way, right? Either either thematically or in terms of the plot or both, right? And I feel like as the uh, as the series went on, they didn't do that quite so much where they just have like one A story and that was the whole thing. And there wasn't as much of trying to have two different stories going on at once. Mm-hmm. And in in this instance, it really doesn't work because there's absolutely no connection between what's happening with Wesley and what's happening with Deanna. Right. Yeah. This, this B story with Wesley deciding like if he wants to be his own man or not, basically it should have been the B story of the outrageous Okona. Right. Because the A story there is Okona is being outrageous. And for some bizarre reason, the B story is Data learning this terrible, horribly dated, awful comedy that was not good in 1988. Mm. Uh, And instead, like O'Connor has a moment with with Wesley where he's trying to like tell him, do you want to be part of this organization? Do you want to be like a rogue like me? And then it just disappears and it does the Data stuff instead. And so if they wanted to have a story of is Wesley going to be his own man, it would have fit great into that because we have Okona bringing that up to him. Yeah. And so I don't know. It, it, I think it let, shows how weak the A story was that they needed to cram something in last minute because mm. I guarantee you the phase two screenplay did not include a subplot about Wesley and Beverly. <laughs> no, of course not. But right? I think I don't think I think there was just a narrative reality there. Like Gates was not there. So they had, you to, had to acknowledge that right yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. You know, they introduced Pulaski and, and you know, Will Wheaton is still on the show. So you, you can't really wait. You have to do it right then and there. And yes, I agree with you. It doesn't really fit in the episode, but it kind of has to be there. Okay. So again, sort of shoehorning it in because it has to, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Well, and that's a really good segue into what um, 
Jared it's Venture we should talk about, yeah, about which because that's yeah. a big part of season two yeah. is lack of Beverly and the appearance of Pulaski. Mm-hmm. Now we did uh, a Shuttlepod episode on all about Dr. Pulaski a while ago. Um, yep. I thought it was a great episode. It was a lot of fun it's to talk great. to you guys about yep. it. Um, I'm still hashtag team Bev, but <laughs> talking to you guys about Pulaski gave me such a better appreciation of her and rewatching the episodes that she was in made me because i just i hated her we all did because, originally I think. because she was mean to data yeah and she they didn't progress her fast enough to coming around to not being mean to data and she's so mean to him in this episode she's so mean oh yeah she's over the she's top disrespectful well, i mean if don't i ha- mess with my data yeah, like when she says to Deanna, she needs the touch of humanity, not the cold touch of technology or whatever. Yeah. Wow. Like that made me mad to hear that. That's good yeah. though. That's good though. But we, one person that mad. that Jared noted we haven't heard from oh, yeah. is sorry, sorry. Matt because Matt, you weren't on that episode with us. So no, which that episode, by the way, if anybody has not listened to it, is fantastic. It's one of it's one of the best ones, you know, from that whatever you want to call it era of the shuttle pod you might say <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank i enjoyed it i enjoyed listening to it very much back way back then um yes dr Catherine polanski i never had a problem with her i know some people like immediately had a reaction um i think it helps that at the time i was also sort of uh most familiar well like a lot of people but but especially for me i was most familiar with tos so i had sort of just gotten into the whole universe that is star trek so i knew bones you know quite well and so this didn't really seem weird to me i was like oh you know it was like a it was like a lady mccoy right like no big Mm -hmm. deal yeah very clearly yeah i mean clearly right but it didn't phase me so much in that regard um obviously her being just a total ass to data is is something that rubs you wrong you know, no matter what like you're just like what um but it's funny i don't remember it being like super bothersome to me first run like me watching it as a kid you know and then but but of course like you know re-watching them i'm like wow she's a real jerk <laughs> like <laughs> um i mean she's downright mean to him at times you know and so it's just weird that i don't remember it I don't remember feeling that way when I watched it, um, you know, in 1988, 89. I don't remember that. Hmm. Uh, it's funny. I don't, I don't know why, but I don't really, I didn't have this like sense of like, wow, she's terrible to him. It was more like the old, oh, she's like McCoy and doesn't trust like technology, right? Like, he just doesn't want to have yeah, like, matter yeah. scrambled. And, like, yeah, very and much. I think that might've been what they were going for, but they just went, yeah. went like way too far with it, with data. I know? agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I liked her a lot. Um, I actually think like, you know, a lot like with McCoy, like I have, I don't mind her kind of gruff bedside manner because it also shows she obviously knows what the hell she's doing. Yeah. Right? Like, and that's one of the things that comes across is like, she's been every, a lot of places, seen a lot, practice medicine in crazy places and you know it and that's okay. You know what I mean? Like, I like it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I trust her for that in that regard. Um, and particularly in the child, I think it, a combination of the writing and the way she plays it, she really seems like someone who is a medical professional. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I like. Actually, speaking of the child, I do really like that she's one of the very first people 
she's very no nonsense about it all but also at the same you know about the whole pregnancy and you know sort of whatever um then they introduce her very abruptly right so just like you should sit down Kevin. you should hear this you know thing yeah whatever but when it's sort of you know when deanna's rights uh to her body and her child do come up i mean Worf, goodness yeah. gracious Worf Holy is like cow. Worf is like abort the thing it must be yeah. a, a threat and they're <laughs> that like was a, that was a very me? Worf reaction though uh-huh. yeah it was oh, a very Worf. but i i really enjoyed that she immediately was like say what you don't get to do that to like my patient that's not for you to decide you know that's that's like that's the mark of a good doctor right like that's like someone who cares and like yes maybe she's crusty but like she's not going to be like hey do whatever it's like the hell you say no Mm -hmm. this is my patient and this is her you know her body and her choice like what are you doing you know like we need to make a decision about an informed decision about this and like so it's also you'll notice that conversation is kind of in the background in the foreground we hear like uh ian's heart beating because i think they didn't Mm -hmm necessarily want to draw as much attention to that uh-huh. as yes. they kind of yes definitely yeah. they didn't want to yeah exactly they didn't really want to like go there and say something sort of either way right but right, but right. It, which it is, is a really cool. really hot issue at the time oh yeah especially mm-hmm. right then yeah um yeah. anyway regardless it's just great to see her jump up and just be like hey hey now like this is my patient she has you know rights like let's mm-hmm. talk about this yep let's not jump to anything and that was that's a great that's a great way to introduce her you know I feel like Dr. Ta'ana on Lower Decks, the Cajun doctor, I think yeah. pulls very heavily from Pulaski. Oh, oh my no gosh, question. Yes. Even very visually so. in a way. Yeah, just the way yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, Yes, Crash, With, uh, crashy yeah. old. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like she's a blonde cat and cat, Kate Pulaski was blonde. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So. I mean, just looking at the drawings of her when they were they issued the, the first drawings, I was like, oh, this is a Pulaski. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. Yeah. It's so <laughs> yeah. obvious. Um, I, I just want to go back to one thing you, you were saying a few minutes ago about how you know, she was mean to data and that upset you. Yeah. It should upset you, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, but I think what ends up happening with Kate Pulaski over the course of the season is that she begins to slowly come around to the idea that data is far more than a machine. Sure. Oh, she does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. see it happening Bust over the up. course of the season. Yeah. Exactly. She really, <laughs> yeah. And I just feel like, you got to let characters have these arcs of development. Otherwise, if they're static all the time, which That's is true in many cases, the way TNG characters were for the most part, were very static, right? This somebody like her having this, you know, life lesson happen over the course of a season, or maybe, maybe if she'd be on the show, maybe over the course of the rest of the series, I think would have been very rewarding. Like I, I believe yeah. that they were, if she had stayed, she probably would ended up, would have ended up being one of data's closest friends. I truly mm-hmm. believe oh, I that. Totally see yeah. that. It was yeah. it was heading that way. It felt like it was heading that way anyway. So I don't know. I think she was a, a fascinating character. Like even finding out at one point that she specifically wanted to be assigned to the Enterprise because she was like so enamored of Picard, but would never let Picard know it. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But that's like that stuff is very rich and very interesting. Like she was mm-hmm. such she was such an outlier to the rest of the cast. Like it was just fascinating. It's a completely different vibe when she's on the show. Yeah. It's unfortunate we didn't get to see her more because it had she become more friends with Data, then that sore point at the beginning we might look at uh, a little more endearingly even rather than just, holy cow, how can she say these awful things to him? Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
And right. Diana Muldar did a great job. Of know, course. On the, on the oh, yeah. Front. Yeah, she's yeah. awesome. Yep, she is. She's terrific. So can I interject something that I wanted to touch on in terms of, uh, like, when I was talking about the, the how the music was a little more cre- creative? Because I don't think it was just the music. Mm-hmm. I think it was also the cinematography and the editing was something where they were willing to take a, a, a little, few more risks. Mm-hmm. And... It, it, it makes the episodes individually stand out more than some of the um, visual wallpaper that maybe we have later on. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. there was, there's, there's two specific moments. One was, uh, and I think I sent you guys a gif of this is when in the episode with Nagilam, where Worf and Riker teleport over to the Yamamoto and the way Riker beams in with the shadows is very mysterious and scary, right? They could have oh, just yeah. done it in a that in a, that episode freaked me out as a kid. Like I think very it was supposed so. to, and it was yeah. supposed to, yeah, yeah. So mission accomplished. It did, yeah. And so I thought that was a very creative shot there. And then there's another one in what otherwise I think is objectively horrible in the outrageous Akona, where they're talking to the 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 young woman's father, and Picard puts the guy on mute. And then he leans over to confer with Riker and it, it's a shot from over the shoulder uh, so that we can see them. We can see the helmsman and the navigator in the middle ground. And then in the background, we see the guy just incensed that he's being blown off like this. Yeah. And the thing that's so cool as, as I was watching is that I realized, okay, the director had to go in and say, hey, guys, let's shoot this a little more different today. They had to pull Wharf Station out. And then reposition everything just so they could get that shot for a couple seconds, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. And when when you're on the, as you say, Brian, punishing production schedule that you have for something like this, it's really easy to say, okay, well, let's just do this normally with from the seeing them from the front the way we usually see them and have them chat with each other. But instead, he said, no, let's show how irritated this guy is while Picard and Riker are talking about him behind his back in front of his face. And I don't know how long it must have taken to do that. Maybe it was easy, but that took time and effort to, to mm. do something that made that, oh, yeah. that distinct. Yeah. And yeah. so yep. uh, kudos to director uh, Robert Becker for taking the time to do it. He only shot two episodes of uh, TNG in, a, in his life, but I just, I just love that he took the time to do that. Yep. Great point. And, and it's worth mentioning that as Jared sort of alluded to that as TNG went on, the lighting became a little less interesting. They tended to shoot, the sets and a rather even flat light. Yeah. With it, Completely where, flat. Yeah. With Which rare makes, I mean, it with, makes sense. It makes sense, but it's not as interesting flat. to look at. For sure. Um, they could have done more with lighting maybe when they were not on the Enterprise. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, which they occasionally I mean, did, which they occasionally it, would. It mirrors the trend of like all 80s and 90s TV, though. I mean, almost all of 80s and 90s TV is just flat like that. It's it unfortunate. Is. You know? It is. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember reading something about the Royale and they i think rob bowman directed the royale and royale, i love the royale yeah yes. yeah we can, yeah, we can get fun. into the we can get into the royale because yeah. it's kind of one of my favorite kind of silly episodes guilty um, pleasure, guilty yeah, pleasure. To- yeah. totally yeah. but he got i think a note after it was over that it looked too dark and too cinematic and that it needed to look more like TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. And, and, I, and that wasn't and that wasn't a note that wasn't a note from like rick berman or gene that was from like paramount like the execs oh, yeah yeah i would not use either of those words to describe that episode no but no. i think in terms of the way it's lit and everything it does it I it's remember not correctly. even it 
that's so funny because it's not even lit dramatically different. No, but it's moodier, I guess. It is, it is, but that's okay. But like certainly by today's standards, I wouldn't call that dark. No, 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 No. of course not. And so that's what I mean when I say I would not use that word to describe that episode. But but, but Jared does make a good point. This is like the last season where the show had a different, more interesting lighting scheme. Now, there were exceptions, Mm. like in season three, for instance, yesterday's Enterprise is awesome. yeah. Because that's supposed to be... Yeah, yeah, I mean, it looks so yeah. cool. It's a big yeah. difference. Yeah, yeah. It's beautifully shot. I mean, there's some really good stuff going on there. Well, I think I mean that's that that season. I mean, that episode um, really does show you they could have, if they wanted to, do something very very interesting and dramatic. They right. But it but it's know. more time consuming and it's just easier right. to just right. throw up the lights. House and, style became house style. Just, yeah. So, something yeah. okay. Something that's it. that's good, great that they do with the lighting in that episode. I'm going to use this as a segue. Is everything is dark except ten forward. As a way of showing the one patch of light in this universe is Guinan. Yep. Who makes her debut right. here, by the way. Which who makes her debut, which is there my segue. What what do we want to say about the introduction Yay, of Guinan? Guinan? Everything positive. Yeah, it was phenomenal. I mean <laughs> I mean who I remember at the time it was announced it was a huge coup for the show to get huge her. Huge deal. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Ro- deal. Whoopi was a big movie star at the time. Yeah. I love everything about Guinan from mm. the fact that Whoopi Goldberg was like, I want to be on Star Trek. Put me on it. Yeah. Like, this isn't a question. This yep. is not a, this is not a request. They didn't like, believe well, her. They, thought she was they didn't believe initially. her initially. Yeah. They didn't think she was really serious. Because yeah. they're like A-list, really popular right yeah. now, top of her game. Yeah. Celebrity yeah. wants yeah. to be on Star Trek in a minor recurring role. Right. Yeah. What? Yeah. On a syndicated <laughs> okay. TV show. Yeah. On a syndicated TV yeah. show. It's yeah. set in space. Um, yeah. I love that. I love Guinan. I love everything about her. I love how sassy she is. I love mm-hmm. how she can make. She's like, you know, I, I need. I wish Guinan would just come into into my office every day and tell me what I was doing wrong with my life by mm. making me say it. Because <laughs> that's her trick, right? She's it like, is. oh, really? Yeah. So you're going to yeah. do this, and then you yeah. talk out, you know, like you talk out your problems and you solve your problem. Yep. I love her hats. I love that Whoopi Goldberg thinks that her hats are the shape of the ship. The primary hull. Which doesn't yeah. make sense to me, but I don't care. It I'm kind of does, it. though. Some of the some of the more oval ones do. Yeah, they some, do. yeah maybe. There's, you got the stop sign. You got the teardrop. You've yep. got classic oval. Yeah. I, I told you my theory on her hats, right? What? I think they're yes, supposed but to I look forget. Like, they're supposed to look like a halo because she's like the guardian oh, angel of the ship. Oh, yeah. I like that. That makes sense to me. I am very oh, happy. I, I just one more one more yeah. tiny thing. I also sure, sure. love that she randomly has superpowers in one episode and then those are never mentioned again. Yeah, whatever the about- whatever the plot calls for, she <laughs> She literally has like, like she waved her hands at at Q. Oh yeah, her she's little, like little... hissing at him. Oh, yeah, like, waves. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> she like, waves her hands at him and they're like and they don't they like even zap each other? They're doing jazz hands mm-hmm. to one another. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and then Q calls her like an imp or whatever. An imp. Like, yeah. 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 Oh, go boy. go on, Brian. I didn't mean I just had to. No, no, no. That it's okay. I like the fact that we don't know too much about her. They drop in little things about her over time. She's obviously known Picard for a long time. She's very old. Yeah. I but I like that there was always an air of mystery around Guinan, and I hope yep. if she is indeed in the second season of Picard that we don't learn too much about her. I like yes. the Agreed. Fact, I like God, the yes. fact that we that all the pieces don't fit together. Right. I actually was even a little disappointed when in Generations when we learned the name of her species. Yeah. Elorian. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of an unnecessary in that sense. Yeah. 
Like no. We didn't need to know that. It's fine. But all we know about them is that they're very long-lived and they are a species of listeners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so at least we don't yeah. know too much about the LRN. And well, we Which makes Snyder a perfect bartender. Planet. Exactly. Sure does. Yeah. I mean, we know their, their planet was destroyed by the Borg and most of their people killed, but we knew that from TNG. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then there's an unscrupulous Elorian who starts a bar next to Quarks. Yeah. Really? Yeah, the, it's, it's not a kind of a forgettable. It's not a great yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. No. Oh wow, I completely forgot about that. Uh, it's, what, uh, what's the Chris episode? Brandon, right? Yeah. It's it's yeah, it's played by Prince Humperdinck, which that's yeah, yeah, cool, for... but it's it's not it's not a trip. But that is an episode where the A story and the B story work really well together. So huh. something yeah. that they do while well, we're talking about Guinan and Q. So here we have, which I think would be something that would become more of the standard, is we have an A story and then like half a subplot underneath it. So the A story. Picard and Guinan uh, in the Battle of Wills against Q as he introduces them to the Federation's greatest threat. And then the B story is Jordy and and Sonia Gomez and how that affects her as she, she's this brash, very uh, optimistic um, young ensign who wants to be on the frontier and she gets there and realizes, holy crap, sometimes the final frontier pushes back. <laughs> Also, sometimes you spill your hot chocolate on the cast. Which right. is spectacular. <laughs> Which is spectacular. And she's just she like was, rubbing it in. Yeah, she's like, oh, sorry. Like, that's not going to help. You blot. Don't rub. Blot. You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> she's great, though. I'm, I'm kind of sad they only used her for two episodes. I'm very sad. Were they planning to use her for more? Because they felt like they were setting up a it major sure recurring did. character. I also think she was supposed to be a love interest for Jordy at one point. Well, that's weird. They definitely should not do that considering like she serves under him. That's yeah, that's good. super inappropriate. Yeah, that's not good. But yeah. Like she was cute and perky and all that, but like no, no Jordy, no. That's well, they good. they didn't do that. I mean, no, in this episode, in this episode it's clearly just a mentor protege relationship. Yeah. But yeah, it would have been nice to have brought her back more than once, right? Yeah. yeah. And then they could have done like a super engineer episode with Jordy and Sonia Gomez. And uh, uh, Robin Leffler and Barkley and O'Brien saving the day. <laughs> yep. Dream team. Yeah. Dream it team. Was, yeah. Engineering but, team. Yeah, but I do like the idea that they would have kept more of a supporting cast. That with, there were they actually, should have. There were actually the human beings faces. and not just like ciphers. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Actually, it would have been great. I guess they're really, I sort of Barkley, like you said, there really wasn't much of a support group around Jordy. That was, you know, you mm-hmm. regularly. Barkley was the first one that right. they really kept. Right. Yeah. Robin left. Also, well, and of course, O'Brien, times. when he was sort of no one, right? Yeah. He was in between things. Yeah. And yeah. Jordy apparently, so Jordy refers more than once to his office. Is there oh, actually yes. an office? So, yeah, there there is actually. It's it's that little, like, hallway past the place he's always sitting in front of the warp core. You know how, like, there's, like a, there's basically, like, a small opening, a, like, a small hallway. You can on kind this, of see. on the warp core side of the partition? No, 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 no. But you know, like where he's always sitting there at at that console. In yeah, like you're the facing the warp core. It's off to the left. Yes. So there's a small hallway off to the left. In theory, that leads to an office that we've never seen. I oh, I thought it was just a dead that. end. Interesting. No, well, I think in real life it was a dead end, but in theory, it's supposed to be like a little like office. on the schematics. Is I'm going to yeah. look next time I see. I, I don't remember. Don't I don't. I'm not 100 percent on that, but I believe that was that that was how that was supposed to go yeah. down. I believe Scotty was supposed to have one on the original Enterprise, also. Ha, Scotty. I. That's so funny. I. I. You could not see that guy in an office though. Speaking like Scotty, he wouldn't. He wouldn't There'd be, be like there. no furniture in it. There would just be like a. Bunch yeah, he of wouldn't like, be there. Like yeah, he, yeah. I think there would be one desk, and there would be a bunch of boxes 
with like various little tinkery components in it and then some booze. Right. And that's yeah. it. <laughs> and that's it. Stack of diagrams. like Exactly. Like stacks of you know? random shit that he'd been yeah. working on, like that he hadn't worked on in a few years. Yeah. His tech yeah. journals that he's been collecting yeah. since he was 15 tech and journals. stuff like that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I have all the specs and diagrams at home. at home. Exactly. That's exactly. Can we both just it. say that, Jared? We did. Oh, oh that's my great, god. <laughs> well, that that's Jinx. the wrong season, but it's such a great wrong season, right? But, yeah. I can't believe we, that's amazing. Okay, we've been doing the show for too long. We haven't been doing this long <laughs> enough. <laughs> okay. So, do we want to say anything about Sonia Gomez? Do we want, let's talk about the other episode that she's in because I think that's a very uh, um, famous episode. The line "We look for things, things to make us go," uh, I think, is one <laughs> that if you see someone with a Star Trek shirt on and you say that to them, I think they'll remember the line and they'll grin, right? The Packlids. Yeah, good old Packlids, who, uh, who are an interesting little group, aren't they? Like, they are. My goodness. They get real. Uh, this is another in, kind of weird episode, like in a good way. Like they get. What real is the serious. name of this episode? Samaritan snare. Samaritan yeah. snare. That's it. Yeah. It's like they're being the good course. Samaritans, and they get snared. And they get snared. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a perfect title, right? It says what it, it happens in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it gets real serious real quick, though, because as soon as they get Jordy over there, they're like, "Ooh, let me take your phaser from you, and we'll pretend we don't know what we're doing." Oh, but we totally do know, you know. And it's like, oh. <laughs> It, it gets real serious you know and they just start shooting him and they're like uh please stop <laughs> you're giving me cellular damage you keep shooting me you know it's like yeah. stop now. i uh, love this idea though that the pack leads aren't stupid they just have communication problems sure yeah. and yeah. like you know i don't know if this is intentionally an allegory for people with certain types of autism um but you know that's i, I think a lot of people with like various social anxiety and social conditions, people who have difficulty um, interacting with people, but they're mm-hmm. just as intelligent, if not more intelligent than the people around them. Mm-hmm. But everyone treats them like idiots. Yeah, sure. And it, I, I wonder if, I don't know if this was intentionally an allegory for that, but when last time I watched it, that's all I could think of. And I was like, there's a little part of me that was like, yeah, go pack leads. Like, don't let people take you, <laughs> you know, as fools. Cause you're not fools. You just have issues communicating. Right, right. And they're a little evil in this episode. They are a little yeah, evil in this episode. They are. But it was like the revenge of like, you know, people who are are sick of being called stupid their whole lives when they're not. Sure, sure. Yeah. Maybe they just stutter or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so in terms of people not being taken seriously, I need to interject. There's a couple times in this season where Deanna comes and says, dude, what are you guys doing? Don't do this. Like in this episode... She, when, after Jordy is beamed over, she is so empathic. She runs up to the bridge and says, she tells them, yeah. And says, Lieutenant LaForge is in danger. Get him back now. And they're like, yeah, okay, yep. whatever. And they're and like, like, oh, they're such simpletons. It's fine. Yeah. You know, like, and, like and, and she's like a senior member of the medical staff. She's a lieutenant commander and she's a literal psychic. Yeah, like, and they, right. exactly. And they trust her to do her to do that, to use her skills. They like, completely like, dismiss her to, as to, if to, she were Worf. Yeah. (laughs) Or if who would shoot the screen out. Exactly. (laughs) Sorry, I suggest we fire on them. Photon torpedo full spread. After we abort the baby. Oh god. I know I know. Worf is so is so like reactive. Yeah. Especially early on. But anyway. So there's another instance where this happens. Oh, it's in Up the Long Ladder. 
uh, where they're going to go down to the clone planet. Oh, yeah. And and Deanna says, what, these people are lying to you. And right. Riker's like, okay, we'll keep our eyes open. And it's like, <laughs> why aren't you listening to this person? Yeah. Like, her job well, is to counsel you. Yeah, and, and once again, boy, do they get shown that she was right. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> but but, yeah, but you're actually... Hi- oh, sorry? No, but you're highlighting what is a problem that they were having right. with Deanna for a while is that they didn't know to, and yeah. they didn't know how to limit her ability. Cause if you give her too much ability and she's of telling course. you what's going to happen on the surface all the time and she yeah. always ends up being a right, you can end up having a kind of a really dumb TV show. So exactly. Right. Well, so, and this is really bad happens. to basically be like, shut up Deanna. We don't care. And like ignore her too. You right. Know? So right. like they kind of her, her abilities, I felt kind of ebbed and flowed after a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. they did. Yeah. Um, and they do the same thing actually with her mother in the episode Manhunt, oh, yes. where there's these these aliens who spoiler the fish guys the, the great looking fish guys who yeah. end up like being suicide bombers or something. Yeah, and yep, nobody yep. can tell at all. And then Loxana just walks in the room and says, "Oh yeah, these guys are spies. You should arrest them." Right? Yeah. So that was cool for that episode because for the whole thing, they're like kind of making fun of Loxana. And here at the end, she reminds them, hey, I'm actually kind of awesome, too. And yeah. she saves the day. So that's yeah. that's good for that episode. But <laughs> yeah. they can't dramatically have someone who can read everyone's mind and solves all the problems immediately. It's like the so, same reason in the X-Men movies why Charles Xavier always gets knocked out, right? Is because <laughs> he's too powerful, right? Or <laughs> like something goes wrong with Cerebro, so he can't just use it and exactly. kill everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> all he has to do is focus on someone to kill them, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, which was weird because I don't remember that in the comics. Yeah. But, and to be fair, Loxana is 100% Betazoid, while Deanna's only half. So I think exactly. it was okay to yep. give her, make her more quote unquote powerful in that respect. Sure. Sure. But then it says, like, okay, why don't we have like a special um, diversity program for Betazoid security chiefs? Seems like these guys would be super useful. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, they'd be great interrogators or anyway, right? You know, or, or evil something. ones like we see yeah. in the drumhead. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I think this idea of you know, talking about Deanna and her role in the series would actually make a really good podcast because this is another one of those things that I think I would like to challenge, kind of like Ooh, we're we doing now. Do Noted. Let's let's do that. Yeah, People yeah. always say Deanna's totally useless and she never does anything. But I totally disagree. I think she is a good counselor and I think she uses like her abilities quite you know often and like in these couple of cases we've mentioned where she's been 100 percent right and they should have listened to her you know there's something in it that reminded me of is in the fellowship the ring movie legolas is constantly saying hey something's bad's gonna happen we need to leave and nobody listens to him and so I think they need like a Deanna and Legolas support group where they can be like <laughs> the, the unrespected yeah. member of the party. You were right, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Kayla, that's a good idea if to do a Deanna-centric episode. The one thing we do yeah. have to mention, and I don't know how much we want to go into it now, is the introduction of Guinan sort of confusticated Deanna's role. It does. Because mm-hmm. she ends up doing a lot of counseling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I just want to... Um point something else out like sort of segueing a bit um we've talked a lot about a handful of really great episodes and mediocre ones but let's make sure we hit at least all the great ones on our yeah, list. So one thing we, we haven't talked about at all is the measure of a man we just mentioned at the top of that yep. the show um uh measure so here's like just i'm just gonna fire off some of them and we can start picking at these 
So we have like Measure of a Man, we have Q Hue, which Q Who. Can I say Q Hue? Q Who. Yeah. <laughs> That's a different That's episode. That's a different episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, a Matter of Honor. Also uh, really good. Elementary yeah. Dear Data. Mm-hmm. Peak Performance, a.k.a. Bust Him Up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is else? one of my personal favorite episodes. I love Peak Performance. Yeah. 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 The Royale. Oh, yes. I, I would put The Icarus Factor as up there because I really enjoy that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, here's, I mean, okay. here's the thing about The Icarus Factor. This is an instance where the B story, in my opinion, overshadows the A story. Because I think the stuff with Worf is more interesting and more iconic and, and a little more fun to watch because we have like his friends rallying around him. And there's that great scene where where Data's like, I'm going to go help Worf and walks over to him and says, we're your <laughs> friends. We care for you. And Worf says in public to his senior officer, with all due respect, sir, be gone. Yes, right? that's, that's I, great. And the whole introduction of the pain sticks. And then, but then the stuff with um, with Riker, I just don't find as compelling. And it's, it's one of those it's pretty things, soapy. It, it, oh yeah. yeah, especially with the whole reason thing with like Kate Plasky used to date his dad. I, yep. That's so funny. I feel the opposite way. So do I. I oh, like the. I don't remember any of the Worf stuff from that episode. The number wow. one thing I remember is American Gladiators in space. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, it's like yeah. And that he, your Riker's dad was bonking Pulaski. Like wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I do like. I thought casting Mitchell Ryan as his dad was a stroke of genius. Oh, he was good for that. He's really, yeah, he was, was really great. good for that. Yeah. Um, I didn't quite buy into the fact that that someone who is as much of an asshole as Kyle Riker was could raise someone who was a well adjusted as Will. <laughs> well, you remember though, with, he mostly with a, raised a dead himself. Mom. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Will mostly raised himself though. I know, but you would think he would be a little more maladjusted than he actually is, or yeah. or even like. Kyle's either that or more mellow like he doesn't strike me as the person who had like a hard childhood no he doesn't yeah because it strikes me me as a person who had a very easy childhood yeah yeah that's true in in Canada wasn't he raised in Canada like your grandfather Alaska (laughs) (laughs) no he's making a joke lower decks sorry sorry Okay, so, but that, I'm sorry, just that episode in, to return to my theme, that is an instance of a good A story, B story, because they're both about uh, kind of an orphan on the ship dealing with his heritage. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. so thematically, they don't connect at all in terms of plot, but thematically, they're perfect. Yeah, that's true. I think we can't, though, we can't let ourselves go too long without talking about Measure of a Man, because this yeah, is no one way. of the best episodes of all of TNG, right? Well, Star Trek. Yeah, well, Star yeah. Trek. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. So, as as Brian mentioned earlier, Measure of a Man, obviously, where this is the you know the episode where Beta is is uh, going to be taken away uh, by Bruce Maddox as sort of um, as the property of Starfleet, basically to experiment with him. Wouldn't it be great if we had a million Datas, one on every starship, yeah. and so it's this trial, literal trial over you know, deciding whether or not data has rights and there's very heavy themes about slavery. And there's even a discussion directly about slavery where, where Picard talks to Guinan um, about that. And which again, we get, we get award-winning actress, you know, an African-American woman right after she did the color purple. Exactly. Like this is perfect for, to have Guinan there Mm. for that. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's good synergy of like, you know, the time and, and what she just won, you know, and it's great. Yeah, this idea of disposable people, and it's one of Picard's, you know, Patrick Stewart's best episodes. It's mm-hmm. a. Ama- I thought it was a great choice to pit 
uh, Riker against them. So forcing Riker into the position where he had to be the prosecuting attorney and he uh-huh. had to do a good job. Otherwise, yeah. like, you know, because that's his duty was to yep. do his best. Then when he gives his testimony and then he's like, he puts his head in his hands because he's like, I hope I didn't just doom my friend. Yep. And I love the whole, you know, he figures out Data's off switch and, you know, Pinocchio's strings have been cut. Which, and that whole thing is great. Mm-hmm. Considering the first thing he does when he meets Data is compare him to Pinocchio, that's yep. that's harsh. Yeah, That's it good is. drama right there. It's yeah, a it shocking is. moment in the episode. I remember the first time I watched it being like, ooh, like, I almost took my breath away. I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. When, yeah. when he yeah. just pulls the plug on Data, it's just yep. so dramatic. Yep. Yeah. Such a formative episode, so important for the history of Data, and obviously, like the entire plot of Star of Star Trek Picard. Yeah, hinges on a lot of it. Yeah. Is, it completely hinges on it with Bruce yeah. Maddox. Everything, everything is from this one episode. Mm-hmm. You know who we didn't get back? Who would be great to see though is uh, Amanda McBroom's character. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. all all sass. You know, this mm-hmm. was great. Philippa Lavoie, Le- right? That's her. That's the character's name, right? Um, Philippa, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's great in this. A lot of sass, but a lot of but you know no, but doesn't take you know anything, but is you know serious and respectable. Yeah. Respectable, yeah. She's got great chemistry with Patrick Stewart. She does, yeah. definitely. You know, there are there were many episodes of TNG. I think that Gene would fight against certain ideas about them and whatnot, and try to soften them into his worldview at the time. I kind of doubt he did much to this one. Mm. Yeah, I, this I is such yeah. a Star Trekky story. Yeah, exactly. He, you would think he'd be very pleased with this. Yeah, yeah. This is just if if you had to pick one episode to to show to someone who knows nothing about Star Trek and give them a sense of what part, of, at least somewhat, of what the mindset of Star Trek is and its philosophy, this is one of the ones you would show somebody. Oh yeah, for I sure. actually, I took a psychology of science fiction class in college, and they showed this episode. Yeah. I mean, there you go. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very much part of what the core of Star Trek is. And remember, everybody, that was brought to you by Star Trek: The Next Generation season two. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We got that. We got you know that defined Data's character so much, and a lot of other things feature all of Star Trek: Picard, blah blah blah. And um, we got the Borg. Heck yep. yeah. And Q who, right. which Q-Hoo. come on, name you know, name one villain from two us is the Klingons. Name one villain from probably all of Star Trek to someone who doesn't know Trek very well. They'll probably say the Borg. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this season, I think, has um, and and I put this extensively in our show notes here. There's a bigger shift from any other season to this one that introduced so many things that would have such uh, a long impact. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Like Riker, whether it's, you know, Riker growing a beard, Worf and Jordy changing jobs and changing outfits. Um, uh, uh, Miles O'Brien being, becoming a more important character, Guinan becoming a more char- important character, the introduction of the Borg. Uh, I didn't realize, how, I think I read this on memory alpha. This is where we first learn about Picard's interest in archaeology, which would become a huge mm. part of the character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, uh-huh. I think what, uh, maybe the second most important after the Borg, uh, this is when we introduce the idea that the crew plays a weekly poker game. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> that's right. That's a season two thing. You're right. Yeah, that's awesome. Which is such a wonderful bit that they carry throughout the series and then just allows the series to end on such an incredible note. I mean, it's, yes. yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they picked that up in Lower Decks, the show, not the episode. 
Yep. yep. Yeah, that's right. Oh, there. both actually. Oh True. yeah, that's right. Yeah, True. both. You're right. Very much in both. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think in terms of drama, this is the, it's much better than like um, or there's more opportunities than like when Spock and Kirk would play chess in TOS because with the Parker game. A, it's a little bit more social of an environment anyway, and you can mm. have more people there. Exactly. Whereas in a chess yeah. game, you can only have two people. Yeah. 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 And it would have been dumb if they made up 3D chess and like, oh, well, 3D chess, so we can like play with five people. That would have been stupid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they could have. My, but my, poker is my better. My bishop can move through time. Right? <laughs> it's 4D four, <laughs> chess. Yeah, there it exactly. is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's one episode also that I think is one of the standouts that I want to talk about a little bit if we can. And mm-hmm. that is the Pen Pals episode. Oh, I'm surprised you put that as a it's yeah. near and dear to my heart. But I'm surprised you put I it like as a pen standout. Pals a lot. Okay, I really? Like pen pals this a lot. is th- this is this is why. First of all, okay, there's something I noticed where um, it seems like season two and season six echo each other with a lot of things. Like we meet Moriarty in season two, and then he comes back in season six, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Pen Pals, we we see that Picard likes riding horses. And then we'd see that again in Starship Mine when he beats up Tuvok with his saddle, right? <laughs> right. So, so I think this is—I don't know if it's by design that they tried to like do it as bookends like that, but I think it's it worked out pretty well mostly. Okay, so the thing I like best about this is the A story and the B story on this one blend perfectly, right? Because the A story is that Data is talking to his pen pal. And she's in trouble. And the B story is Wesley has been given his first command, basically, right? And so the the thematic issue we have is that there's like an older guy who doesn't want to listen to what Wesley has to say, but Wesley has to tell him what to do. Mm-hmm. And then in the A story, we have um, Data has introduced a moral issue, which Picard has to deal with as something that is challenging the prime directive, right? Mm-hmm. And then the thing that coincides them is when Wesley orders the older officer to do the thing, the, the, the survey, the geological survey that he didn't want to, that's what ends up also providing the information for how to save Sharjenka's planet, right? Right. So it works thematically and in plot beautifully. So whoever, whoever uh, came up with that idea, kudos. Well done. Agreed. There, there is a bit of business in here, though, that, that always bothered me. Yes, I think I know what yes. you're going to mention. Picard, mm-hmm. the way Picard reacts when he finds out what Data's been doing. And I think they're on the bridge when he finds out. And he kind of has his back. He turns his back to Data and he's talking to Riker. And the way it's staged and the way Patrick plays it, it comes across as like such a snotty asshole move. And it, oh, I, I remember I really remember turning that. me off the way. He, yeah, it's hmm. like this weird. It's hard to explain, but like he doesn't come. Picard does not come across well. Let me put it to you Is that it- way. That's interesting because I remember feeling like he is pissed. He's like when your dad oh, is so pissed. mad at you that yeah. he's silent. Like mm-hmm. he is mad. Yeah, maybe. That's how I felt it was. And I thought he was sort of rightfully feeling that way because like Data should have known of better. Of all people, Data should have known better. Yeah. Or Mr. Least, Rule follower, you know. He should have introduced it as a topic of conversation a little bit sooner. Yes, that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I just maybe I think I just maybe it was the way it was staged and played that just I, kind of put me mm, off a little sure. bit. I need to rewatch that. I need to double check because the part that I thought you were going to mention, Brian, is the weird conversation they have about the grand cosmic plan. Yes, that is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, uh, Matt yeah. do you, Matt, do you want to talk? Tell us about that. 
Well, I, I just, you know, I think you remember it even better than I do, but I just remember being really weird. And then there's the whole thing about if they're fated to somehow yeah. in, intercede, you know, and, and, st- and stop this. And then, and it's weird because, well, I don't know. It's just so weird. Like, why are they talking this way? And, and I, I'm sure you're about to say, Jared, that they're basically dancing around the idea of, you know, uh, of a higher power. Sure. Does God them. play roll dice right. with the universe? Basically, right. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, uh, this is weird. Like, I, that's not exactly what the Prime Directive is about. But okay, you know what I mean. Like, they're sort of getting away from it into a weird mm. tangent about. Mm. I don't know, but I know it the, the moment Jared, where Riker says, "If if there is a grand plan," I'm like, "Wait, right. okay, hold hold on a second. Like, the Prime Directive is." Kirk feels uncomfortable about the Klingons giving weapons to the enemy of his friends' tribes in a private little war, not a cosmic plan, right? Right. Mm. And is it and is it is it okay to interfere with a pre-warp society? Is basically sure. what it's about. So it's not like, hey, we should debate, you know, <laughs> whether there's a you know well, giant spaghetti know. monster that that architected this, or you know, or whatever, like, <laughs> like whatever. You know, I also don't love the phrasing there um, with the grand plan and everything, because like you're saying that it very directly suggests the higher power. But I sure I don't think it's necessarily that out of place because, you know, the prime directive becomes comes to be, you know, we do not interfere with the quote unquote natural development of places. Right. And so what they're saying is, well, how do we know that their natural development isn't that we come along and naturally develop them into having better weapons? You know what, you know what I mean? Like there, there's a, it's a fair question. How is our non-interaction or is our non-interaction, you know, also that's going to have an effect too. Like either a choice you make, you're making a choice and it's going to affect right. these people. Well, that yeah, sure. That's and true. maybe there's a better way. There definitely is a better way to say it than they did. But I think, in, I don't know, I guess I took from it basically what I just said is, that question of the natural quote, what is the natural development? What does that mean? And that's fair. Cause that is that you could argue that. I always thought of the prim directive as more like political and technological rather than if a planet has a natural disaster and we can help it, then why wouldn't we help it? Right. Mm. Well, that's the thing. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's sometimes both, right? Like they sometimes talk about it in both aspects. Um, and sometimes we see that it's okay to help, you know, with a natural disaster. And sometimes we see it's not okay. That's I, the interesting part. I, I get the, uh, the, it, it, this ju- changes a bit throughout Trek, certainly throughout yes. TNG. And I think, uh, yeah, you're right. I think during a lot of parts of TNG, it is like more up to the captain because he's out there in the frontier. You know, it's sort of his, there are gray areas and everyone knows that going out there. And, you know, the Federation, Starfleet has said to the captain, you know, you're going to have the ability to sort of interpret this as you yeah. see fit. Well, in and that's these very, very TOS style. That's definitely how Kirk saw it too. Yeah. And that happens a lot in TNG as well, where you see Picard interpret it in mm-hmm. a different way. And I think it, it ebbs and flows how much, you know, how much Starfleet allows for reinterpretation of that in the field. It seems <laughs> to ebb and flow a bit. Yeah. It drives home though, why Starship captains are so extraordinary is that they're given an enormous amount of leeway when they go out in the galaxy mm-hmm. in yeah, terms of yeah. you know, the decisions they make in, in determining potentially determining the fate of other cultures. Yeah, exactly. Well, there, are there any other episodes we want to, or themes we want to talk about? Do we want to talk about the Royale? Ah, the Royale. 
I love this episode. It's, it's a lovely, so much pleasure. fun. It's a lovely guilty pleasure of this episode. What what uh, do you like? Do you enjoy about it particularly, Bran? I just like the high concept nature of it. You know that it this whole situation is the construct of you know a dead astronauts. Wait, because isn't it built? No, no, it's built off the yeah. book. They, that this entire thing is built off this like cheap, sleazy little novel. <laughs> Yeah, which just happened to be there. It's like the thing somebody left in the bathroom who was on the previous mission. And right, exactly. right, 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 right. He, which, totally. In his um, diary of the astronaut, he's like, it wasn't even a particularly good book. Right. Yeah. Right. I just love that the, the whole premise of it is so goofy and a little off the wall, but I always enjoyed it for simply for that reason. Can I tell you the thing I love most about it is this feels the like the most like an episode of Twilight Zone of any Star Trek mm. episode. Right. It definitely has that vibe. Yeah. That this guy came across intelligence greater than him and it totally screwed over his existence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah poor guy. And then, and then in it's weird it, feeling guilty. They decided to give it this it, simulation and it's not good. Yeah. It they made things worse. More. They, yeah, needed exactly. their, they need a prime directive to not yeah. screw up this poor, this poor astronaut's life. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It makes it even worse for him. Can you imagine the hell that would be is to basically have the Royale play out every, you know, 48 hours or whatever. And mm. it's, it's like, that would be awful awful it's funny to watch it's funny to be a visitor but it would be really shitty to, to be stuck there you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like yeah that would not be what? fun yeah. it would not be <laughs> it would be groundhog day but not entertaining and there'd be no, no. Bill murray or annie mcdell no because then you'd just be like oh here's this guy mickey whatever here he comes again he's gonna shoot the stupid bellhop all right like i do uh... love the way those actors play those scenes though so hammy hammy mm. my goodness it's great though it's especially weird because the whole thing has got uh, a super like '80s flair, but is all, but it's the attempt of a very '80s style, like fashion style, to also be retro somehow. Okay, yeah. And it tries so hard, and it's so funny because really, it just looks like they took you know they grabbed a costume designer from Miami Vice and then said, "Hey, make this kind of gangster too." And yeah, just like went with it. And and put a guy in there who if people if grandma is flipping channels trying to find Dallas and she sees this Texas guy with a big hat maybe she'll stop on it. <laughs> exactly. I also the music in this is really good though too. Yeah, because like yeah. it's creepy and scary when they realize they're trapped, and then it when um, they figure out how to do it, it gets kind of adve- um, adventurous and fun, and and kind of capery toward the end. And I yep, love the line totally. when Riker says, when the train comes into station, everybody rides when yeah. he's giving all the money away. to. Now, I, I love it. Like, now, how does Riker know all these sort of like anachronistic like phrases, you know, from, he is like, a gambler. I guess so. Yeah, that's true. Right. Like he must, I guess so. It's just fun. He strikes me as the kind of guy totally. that would go into the holodeck and like play and go visit like an old Vegas casino or something. Oh, like uh, that's that. true. Yeah. But, he know. would be the guy, I guess. Yeah. 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 Yeah, if 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 Riker's a guy who can consistently win games of poker against psychic, a robot, and a guy with X-ray vision, he's got to have some mad skills, right? <laughs> he's got to be practicing in his off hours. Excellent point. Uh, Jonathan Frakes made that point. I saw him like he was like hosting something on QVC in the mid '90s, and he said that. It's like, how <laughs> on? He, he said his theory was if he's going against these guys, he can't possibly beat. The only way he can win is that he cheats all the time. He assumed Riker cheated all the time. Awesome. <laughs> I have one thing I'd like to say about Shades of Grey 
in its defense, actually. Well, like, well, okay, I can't right. hear yeah, this. yeah, we need to hear. We can't follow up anything after this. So yeah, go right ahead. Okay. So I don't, con- as I indicated at the top of the hour, I don't really consider this an episode. It's just 41 minutes of images and sound that mm-hmm. talented people were forced to do with limited time and money at yep. the end of a tough season. But there's one moment in it that I think is really cute where after Riker's been bitten or stabbed or whatever by the poison vine and Jordy and Data go down to examine it and Jordy is like taking an unnecessary risk and and um data catches it he says jordy data says jordy you need to be careful something's going to happen and jordy says well i'm just counting on those great android reflexes of yours to save me and and the way they do is right in the middle of the sentence the assassin vine or whatever it is goes out to strike jordy and data oh, grabs yeah. it super he fast grabs right it. yeah and and i love this cute moment between these two friends where one of them knows he can he's safe cuz he's got his his robot friend there to help him and the robot friend is kind of obtuse and doesn't realize what his friend is doing, right? I think it's just a great little moment with those two guys in an otherwise very forgettable um, installment. Yep. Yes. They shot that in three days. Well, Holy yeah. crap. There's well, there was hardly anything to shoot. There's yeah, one. There's exactly. two sets. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Also, Jared, that is the most forgiving thing anyone has ever said about that episode <laughs> i think it's the only forgiving thing you could possibly say yeah there really isn't yeah. anything else there's nothing else at all and it's not like they even took like if they'd taken like deleted footage from the previous two se- episodes yeah, yeah. or seasons and use that then there'd be some value but instead it's just nothing it's nothing it's just an awful so, clip a, show a 20 second a 20 second scene with jordy and data that's it yeah. And it's an unfortunate way for Diana Moldar to go out, too. Very unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For April Fool's Day, we should do a shuttle pod show about Shades of Grey. <laughs> Let's do an audio commentary. We have to drink heavily, though, if we're going to do it. <laughs> that oh would God. actually be amazing. <laughs> yeah. It'd just be we us complaining the whole time. Why. Yeah, it's like, uh... oh, God. Well, right. there's so many problems with where it's like, how does how does Riker how does he see himself? How does he in the third person in these flashbacks? You <laughs> yeah, know, and you're yeah, like, yeah. Ah, like you know, M- multiple perspectives and editing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, how did stuff. he do that? Yeah, yeah. It's I, I would listen. I would listen to us under the influence, commenting <laughs> on that episode. Definitely. Yeah, we'll put I'll put that on the Some, list. Something to look forward to. <laughs> April 2021, people. Bef- before right. then, I'm sure we will. Um, do a, a retrospective on season three, which will probably be a little more interesting. Probably, <laughs> probably, potentially, yeah, yeah. Does anyone else have any final thoughts about season? Yeah, two? I wanted to just touch on a couple of things before we left the season. Oh, great. Um, we haven't said that um, one nice piece of building out wharf that I think comes. Actually, two a couple of pieces that I think that build out wharf is we get to see his calisthenics program for the first. Oh, time. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. I forgot about that. Which you know becomes a staple, right? Yeah. And then we also get to meet Kalar. So mm. that's oh, that is season two. Yeah, that's season two. That's season yep. two. Awesome. And they have great chemistry right away. Spectacular. Also, she's yeah, so great in that. Yeah. And I love she's her. got like she's got like four different outfits in this episode. Yes, so she does. Yeah. They, they didn't need to, to go to that length, but they did. It's but, very yeah. her though. It fits. I was gonna say that's totally yeah, that makes sense somehow. Um so so we just wanna make I wanna make shout out for that. Also, a, an episode that I've always liked, but isn't um, isn't the most amazing, but also has a really weird, interesting backstory. Like, 
behind the scenes part to it is Times Squared. I always found to be oh very, yeah kind of intriguing and creepy. You know, with the sort of anti-time Picard that only sort of wakes up as they get to the point where the split happened yeah. and like crazy stuff. And um, yeah, this one's fun, fun sci-fi. Yeah, and so what's interesting though is there's a part of it that's like nonsensical, right? Like, why does this like vortex basically call to him, right? And why does it only want Picard? And at one point, Deanna mentions that there's like a malevolence, you know, to it that she can sense it and yada yada. So where all that comes from is that's them backpedaling from the original was it the original premise which is that that's q screwing with picard actually interesting and what this does is start to set up q who like um Mm. they're about two episodes two three episodes apart and so the idea was um that this is q toying with picard and then he kind of you know disappears for a minute and comes back in q who to sort of to continue like challenging them right interesting i've never heard that yeah it's it's very it's an interesting like thought um that was nixed for i don't know maybe because they just didn't want it to be you know serialized in any way or whatever so this these whole like hints that oh there's a there's a person you know like a force behind this vortex like is them dancing around the fact that actually that should have been like purposeful like that should have been cue dicking with picard basically and so like the opening shot of like q or one of the opening scenes of q q would have been not him you know stuck in a shuttle you know where he gets lost in the shuttle yeah like where'd he go that was actually supposed to be picard and q in a shuttle but then watching the enterprise getting stuck in the vortex from Times square so they were supposed to be like this like you know again this continuity that they just totally ditched but it makes Times Squared make a little more sense in it a way. Makes it makes like, it was a sense. challenge, you know? Yeah. A paradoxical kind of challenge for Picard to figure out, you know? And it's like, oh, okay. Like, because it's always, because it's always so weird that towards the end, they're just like, oh, there's this weird, you know, malevolent, you know, feeling to this vortex. And like, how do we, and then Picard just goes, oh, well, we should go through it. You know? And it's like, well, how did you know that? Like, what, what gave, you know? Anyway, so it's kind of an oddity, and it I think Times Squared is kind of interesting overall, but there's this odd part of it that just sort of falls apart, and that's why. Because they just kind of had to go, oh, never mind. Because <laughs> they got to the line of scrimmage, and they called Nautable. Exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if maybe that was because the whole you know season was short, and then they didn't want to like tie anything together. They just wanted to bang stuff out. You know, it was like standalone episodes. I don't know if it was the staunch, they don't like doing anything serialized that was definitely a force you know especially with tng they were very serious about that and television in general at the time yeah i mean right television in general so i don't know what if that was why but that was the original plan and it's kind of neat it kind of makes you wonder like huh that actually would be cool like what if kind of maybe that should have been that way you know Mm -hmm. well and that's kind of i guess what they did with all good things is there was a time thing and q was behind it yeah it is that's that's it exactly like when you when you know that it starts to become like oh that's very much like i mean it's set up differently but it's the same kind of concept right like it's a conceptual similarity yeah yeah. it just reminded me of a uh a similar idea in the original series at one point they were going to have with well, tomorrow's yesterday that the time the captain christopher episode that's what it's called right oh yeah 
mm-hmm. they were going to have that follow up the naked time. Oh, directly. right. And you can tell oh, and you can sure. tell they would be related. Yeah, to, because they were doing yeah. that time warp effect to put them back through time. And then it was going to kind yep. of just go haywire and it's going to start shooting, shoot them toward Earth. And that's where the episode would end. And then it would pick up in the next episode and the Enterprise would, would have gone back through time. But yeah, continuity was not a big thing in those days. I didn't want to do too many of those kinds of shows. Yeah, they really huh. did. It's too bad. It, I think it would have, have helped no that episode. That. Yep. Yeah, I think it would have helped that episode a little bit. Yep. Kayla, well, that's all you, I got. Kayla, did you want to talk about the episode loud as a whisper? <laughs> well, how did you know? Uh, I, uh, I, Counselor Troy could tell that something was wrong, and she came and whispered it to me, and I'm taking her advice seriously. <laughs> um, wow. That is a grim image that was put on television. <laughs> so for Holy you cow. listeners, um, I just quietly slipped an image into our Slack chat oh, from Jesus. The, the episode of <laughs> Whisper, which I actually really like this episode. But the image of, so this is the one with the deaf, um, like diplomat guy mm-hmm. who has um, three people that are attached to him for life i guess that speak for him as like one is his heart and one is his ego or i don't know if it's it ego and super ego or what um it's his chorus his chorus that's right yeah Mm -hmm. and they speak for him and then um they are killed and he has to figure out how to communicate without them and bring peace to this planet blah 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 i think it's an awesome episode i actually really really like it but the scene and the freeze frame of the chorus being murdered is something Gruesome. else yeah. is very you can see their skeletons like they're yeah it's like it's like their skin dissolves and their muscle dissolves like and all that's left is like, fiery yeah. dissolution of their musculature yeah. to reveal like fleshy bone it's yeah and you see their faces still and their hands are up in the air it's pretty advanced for that for those days actually yeah it was, yeah. How did Kayla, they? Is this? I mean, every time I ask how they did something, my first answer for everything is just double exposure. But I don't know how they did this. Uh, that one might have been like an early thing where they painted it in. Like it's not CGI that we, as we know it, but like, as they say, like hand painted in a skeleton. Like it was basically like drawn on the screen. Hmm. You know. Okay. I'm not sure though. I would have to look that up. But I know it was pretty cutting edge. It looks know. pretty good. Yeah. It's terrifying. But yeah, um, maybe I'll... Yeah, also like what's with these, you know, that's the thing that doesn't make sense though, is these are supposed to be these uh pretty low tech, you know, people that need this mediator, right? They're not very like advanced. Yet somehow mm-hmm. they have some grisly arse like energy weapons, man. Yeah. What's up with True. that? You know? But anyway, I actually really like that episode. I would rate it as the top half. Oh wow! It's awesome. it's an intriguing idea, like the whole thing about him and how he get, gets along, and then, like the whole they have to learn to like what's next, like how does he, what does he do now, right? Like that's all really interesting. And I like that they at the end of it, it's sort of um, he's like, "Leave me here with them. This is gonna take yeah. a while." And that's I yeah. like that because it's realistic. That's pretty ballsy. Like that's pretty great. Like he's like, "No, I'll teach them. I'm gonna like, teach to sign. them sign yeah. language, and that's how we're yeah. gonna like, do this." It's like Cortez burning his ships. Right, like when Cortez landed in the New World, he burned all the mm-hmm. ships so his men mm-hmm. wouldn't have to. Would be, be motivated. Yep. Yeah. 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 So they would, wouldn't have. But the only out. problem is these guys could decide not to be very motivated, and um, you know, skeleton murder him too. So I don't know. <laughs> that is true. Gala murder. Gala murder. <laughs> it's well, just because you know, Fatality. right now, 
Yeah. Oh, it totally is like this is before Mortal Kombat, but it totally was. Mortal oh, it's Kombat. got major um, Mortal Kombat vibes. Totally, it does. <laughs> it does. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, this whole thing is is dependent on he's he's sure that they're willing to like talk now, right? That they want peace. That's why it's okay that he can you know stay behind and teach them. But mm-hmm. what if they give up? <laughs> what if they get frustrated? You know. What What if one of the groups decides to eat him? <laughs> this, he's dealing with some rough characters here. Who knows? Yeah, see, there's a, there's a, see, I want to know what happened though. It's true. Like, did he ever, you know, he never teach them? Did he make peace with these two warring factions? Whatever happened. Listeners, there? tell us in the comments if it's in one of the books. There oh, we go. Yeah. There you probably go. not. Probably not, because this is really random. Yeah. It's really random, so probably not. But there you go. Don't if there if it's not, just don't write a book about it. You know, we oh, yeah, please we can be left with the mystery. That's one thing I hate about like, oh, we could like explore all these other aspects and nooks and crannies of things that, you know, the show never like, let's go back and check on these people. And what it's not no. You the story was over. We can be left with a mystery. Not everything has to be tied up in a neat little bow, every That's aspect right. of every single thing of the whole universe. Like it's making it makes the universe smaller every time you do that. Yep. And this universe has gotten pretty small. Yeah, as of late. Yep. So. Alrighty. Well, I think that we we can tie a ribbon on season two here. That we can. At least on this podcast. I, uh, I We've all been chomping at the bit to be able to do this episode. So for all of you who stayed till the end, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording it. And give season two another shot. Go back and rewatch some of the episodes we highlighted. I mean, you've probably seen Measure of Man a hundred times, but yeah. go back and watch The Royale and Pen Pals and The Igorous Factor and some of those other random ones that you don't haven't seen in a while, maybe. Alrighty. Was that it? Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody.